0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of First Importance. You're invited to check out our other sermons on this channel and, if you're in the West Memphis area, to join us for our Sunday worship at 1045 a.m. Hello everybody, Pastor Josh Hall here at First Baptist Church in West Memphis on this beautiful Easter morning. i got to tell you, uh, being here today on this Sunday morning, where I know that had we originally had our ways and our plans would have looked drastically different, uh, just beginning this year, uh, we know uh, we we would have had different plans for this Easter Sunday. I think about the pews that would have been filled behind me that are now empty. Uh, But where we could be people who mourn and, and, and look at the world as it is right now, we praise God for uh, the tomb that was also empty, and praise God for our wonderful services last night. I'm I'm coming to you now on this Easter morning with some technical difficulties yesterday, and I did not want uh, I did not want this Easter to go by without a, our presence online for many of you who were unable to make it to our services yesterday. And so I wanted to come to you today with an abbreviated service similar to what we did yesterday, only without the the music. And I wanted to come to you and, and just have some time where we celebrate our risen Lord together. And we are, we are so blessed uh, that we have come to know Jesus and that we've come to serve him together. And so I'm glad that you are online with me now. I know many of you are, are just now popping on. We're sorry about the Inconvenience of this service not posting at nine, but sometimes these things just happen and we know that God is on his throne and he is in control. So let's pray together as we begin our time together today. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for another an opportunity that you've given me to share your gospel, your good news that you've entrusted to me You've entrusted to us. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us for the days ahead. Father, I thank you that you are victorious over the grave and that you've promised victory to all those who would repent and believe. And Father, I pray that today you would use me for your glory. And Father, as people log on to Facebook now and as people join us later in the day as they watch this video, Lord, I pray that your people would be blessed. And Father, for those who have yet to come to know you, that by hearing this service today, they'd be convicted of their sins, they would repent and turn to Jesus, who is worthy of everything. And it's in his name I pray these things. Amen. As we celebrate Easter today, we bear witness to the events that we uh, that we come to know as Holy Week, or we, we bear witness to the life and the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These set of events are as baffling as they are beautiful. They're as grotesque as they were glorious. A set of events in human history that were unfair in the sense that it is unfair that someone as holy and righteous as God's one and only son, Jesus, none like him, that someone as holy as he would bear our sins. And yet as we see it as being unfair, God would look upon it and say that it was just and it pleased God to do so. We celebrate and we bear witness to a set of events that display God's perfect wrath and His infinite mercy and grace. And many texts that we could have gone to today to examine the resurrection of Jesus. We could have gone to anywhere in the Gospels, and and we could have seen in real time as, as uh, the guard uh, the the grave was guarded by Roman soldiers. We could have seen in real time as the stone was rolled away and as the ladies came to the tomb to to prepare Jesus' body we could have we could have seen that the uh, that the angels uh, told them uh, that he is not here he is risen there are several places we could have gone to we could have gone to first Corinthians in chapter 15 and we could have looked at the certainty of the resurrection, and I know that there are many questions. Even if you go online and you search today, you'll find many people who question the resurrection. And in chapter fifteen of the book of First Corinthians, Paul assures us of this certainty of the resurrection of Jesus. We could we could go throughout all of Scripture and and learn of the of the power that the resurrection gives us, the life that the resurrection promises us. We could go to the book of Revelation and see the future that the resurrection promises us. But what I would like for us to do today is I would like for us to go to the Gospel of John in chapter 14 and in verse six and examine something very important. Jesus on his way now, determined to go to the cross. Jesus is sharing with his disciples some information that they need before he goes. And in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus tells his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I know that online you echo with me. Amen. Lord Jesus, it is true. You are the way. You are the truth. And you are the life. Uh, but today I would like for us to examine really just four words in this text when Jesus says to us, "I am the way. I am the way." The title of my sermon today on this Easter Sunday is "The Way Maker." Jesus is the way maker. And I would like to illustrate to you now from all of Scripture how Jesus did not become the waymaker in John chapter 14 and verse 6. He did not become the way maker on the cross nor by the resurrection. All of those are proof that he has been the way maker all along. He didn't become that way in the New Testament. There was not all of a sudden some new God with different characteristics in the New Testament than there was in the Old Testament. Rather, I hope to display to you today how throughout all of time and all of Scripture, God has always been the way maker for his people. He has always been the way for his people. And so now I would like for you to join me online and going throughout scripture and, and traveling throughout time and examining this timeless principle of Jesus being the way maker. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you now to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, uh, is where I want to take us uh, right off the bat, but we, we know that just moments before this event, God had created the entire earth in six days. It took really no effort from God. He spoke it into existence by his infinite power. God spoke everything that has ever existed. He spoke it into existence. And on that sixth day, God created man, and he created woman. And it was a special, special day as he created them in, in his image and gave them rule over the earth. And he placed them in a garden. And he had but one rule for them. He wanted them to enjoy the garden and enjoy life without death and life without uh, sickness and, and life without the, the, the pains of sin And so he he told them, enjoy this garden, but over there, Adam and Eve, there is a tree that I have placed in this garden. It is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I'm telling you now, do not eat from the fruit of that tree, for on the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. I can't imagine that it was many moments after God had left them in that new environment that he had created for them. I can't imagine it was much longer after he had had left them in in those moments that Eve had approached that tree and she had observed how beautiful that fruit was and the serpent tempted her and just like that, Adam and Eve failed and rebelled. They squandered the prosperity of all of their posterity. All the life that we could have enjoyed was thrown away in just that moment, in that act of rebellion. And immediately they were afraid and they went out and they hid themselves and they made for themselves. They saw that they were naked and they made for themselves clothes sewn together from fig leaves, clothes that could that could. Uh, not protect them from the world that they had now created, the world that they had now transitioned from God's perfect creation into now this fallen, fallen world. And so there they hid, vulnerable, scared. And as God came into the garden, he called for them. And when he pointed out to them their sin. He pointed out to them their failure. He very justly and righteously brought a curse upon them and upon all of their descendants. Because of their sin, they would no longer live in this perfect garden. They would no longer live a life free from pain, they would no longer live a life in fellowship with God, but rather they would live a life in disobedience, and they would live a life plagued by death and, and sickness and ensnared by their own sin. And there in that garden, as they cowered before their Lord, in disobedience, as they cower before him and with their fig leaves on, we see a wonderful act being displayed by God as they are being evicted from this garden because of their sin. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, the Bible teaches us, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. You know, I can imagine if I were God in that circumstance, I would have told them, get out of here. You have ruined everything. I have given you something wonderful, something uh, that was a a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I have given you this, and you have squandered it. And not only have you squandered it for yourselves, but all of your children. Just just years later, Adam and Eve would stand over the grave of their son, and, and they would mourn. Not the act of their son, Cain. Not the murderous act of their son, Cain. But they would mourn, really, their own sin and how they had brought themselves into that predicament. But here in the garden, as they're being evicted, God shows mercy toward them. And he says those leaves won't do, do in this cold, cruel world that you have made for yourselves. And so he took a lamb and he slaughtered that lamb and he made for them clothes that would be fitting for them in this cold world. He taught them the need for the shedding of blood, for the forgiveness of sins. And Adam and Eve understood in that moment, in that act of mercy and in that act of grace, that their God was the way maker. But it didn't end there because in chapter six through nine of the book of Genesis, we discover the man Noah. God had looked down upon the earth and he had seen the wickedness of the earth and how the wickedness and sin had increased upon the earth that he created. And he looked down and he regretted that he had created man. But he looked upon Noah and the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God commissioned Noah, to, that unskilled craftsman, to craft an unsinkable boat. Uh, if you think about it, there was no need for such a vessel, no idea for such a vessel in the world that they lived in. And yet God, the architect of all time and creation, laid before him this massive plan. And day to day, Noah and his family built this ark that God had commanded them to make. And the Bible teaches us that as he did so, Noah was a preacher, a herald of righteousness and of repentance to those who were around him. Day after day, Noah built the ark. And day after day, God had brought the animals to Noah for him to fill the ark with. But there came that that day when the rain would begin that God commanded Noah to get he and all of his family into the ark. And God closed up the door in that ark. In Genesis chapter 7 and verse 16, we read that account. And those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. It's in that moment that God shut that door that Noah understood his God was the way maker. As he heard the pitter-patter of rain on the outside of that ship for 40 days and 40 nights, as that ship arose up over the earth, over the heights of the mountains, over all creation, as everything outside of that ark perished, Noah understood, his family understood that their God was the waymaker. They knew that there was no ability in and of themselves, that they had no no craftsmanship, but they poured into this boat. No blood, sweat, and tears. None of it could have done. It was God who was keeping that boat afloat. They knew that their God was the waymaker. And after months of being quarantined on that boat, as God caused the ark to land on top of Mount Ararat, and as he cleared the waters from the face of the earth, and as Noah left that ark, and performed sacrifice and saw God's rainbow in the sky, Noah and his family testified that their God was the way maker. But you see, it doesn't end there. If we follow on throughout the text, in Genesis chapter 12, we are introduced to the man Abram who lived in the metropolis of Ur, an economic hub of, of that world. Abram was enjoying the fruits of that world and God called Abram to get up out of his land in Genesis chapter 12 in verse 1, get up out of your out of this city, away from your family and go to a place that I will show you. And he left the, the certainty, the physical certainty of the things that were around him, the riches that were around him. And he went into a land that he never actually possessed, that God promised him would be his and would be his family's. He left childless into this land. Why? Because he understood that his God was the way maker. And in Genesis chapter 22 in verse eight, Abraham being old in years, God finally had provided for him and his wife, Sarah, a child, and he took his son, Isaac, the apple of his eye, his pride and joy. And one morning, God had told Abraham, Abraham, you take that son that you love so dearly, that one and only son of promise, that one and only son, that joy that you have in him, you take him and you sacrifice him on a mountain that I will show you. And Abraham takes his son Isaac, the one who Looked just like him, I can imagine, who acted just like him. That son who he loved so dearly. And he took him out of obedience to go and sacrifice him on that mountain. They began to ascend the mountain, and Isaac got wise. He said to his father, Abraham, he said, Dad, I, I see the fire and I see the wood. But where's the lamb for this sacrifice that we're going to make? And Abraham says in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 8, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb. What did Abraham understand? He understood in those moments his God was the way maker, and they'd got to the top of the mountain, and he tied his son his only son Isaac up and laid him on the altar and he raised his hand with his sword in his hand and prepared to strike his son, understanding that God was good for his promises. And there God stopped Abraham and he provided for him a lamb to take the place of his only son. And Abraham understood his God was the waymaker. He never saw the resurrection physically on this earth, but Jesus would say of Abraham in John chapter eight and verse 56 to the Israelites, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day and he saw it and was glad. You see, Abraham understood that his God was the way maker, but not just in the book of Genesis. In Exodus chapter 12, we come upon Moses and the 10th and final plague. God's people, Israel, had been enslaved in Egypt for many years. and They had been underneath the cruel and hard taskmasters of Pharaoh, building for Pharaoh uh, all, of, all of his uh, riches and all of his things. And, and, and here was Israel, God's people, enslaved by him being starved, being manipulated, and they cried out to God, and God sent to them Moses. Moses had come before Pharaoh, and he had told Pharaoh, Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God, let my people go. But God had hardened Pharaoh's hearts, and nine plagues had plagued the empire of Egypt and had brought them to their knees. Nine plagues had robbed from them their livelihood, had robbed from them their certainty, had robbed from them their economic well-being, had robbed from them their health. Nine plagues had devastated Egypt and still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And God told Moses in Exodus chapter 12, now comes the 10th and the final plague and, and the Pharaoh will not deny you after this. I'm going to send my death angel around on this night and I'm going to take for myself the life of the firstborn of all creation in Egypt, of livestock and of every man I'm going to take the firstborn. He says to Moses, but listen to this. I want you to take a lamb for every household, a perfect lamb. And I want you to slaughter that lamb at twilight on this night. And I want you to take the blood and I want you to paint that blood on the side of the doors and over the top of the door so that when my death angel comes down and he sees the blood, he will pass over. Moses understood and all of Israel understood that night as they rested behind the blood of that lamb, as they heard the screams and the death throughout all of Egypt, they understood that their God was the way maker that he was taking care of them, that he was providing a way. And I, I think that somehow in part they understood that it was not the blood of that lamb that was actually doing anything for them. But ultimately, ultimately, God's people would realize that it was the perfect blood of God's only son that would cause his just wrath to pass over them. Moses understood, all of Israel understood in that day that their God was the way maker. But it was not much longer after that, that, that uh, Pharaoh had let God's people go and God's people were heading toward the promised land when God had directed them to go to a dead end alley next to the Red Sea where there was no escape for them. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart at the same time where Pharaoh would send his armies after them to bring his slaves back into Egypt. And as the armies approached Israel, all of God's people saw that in front of them was a gigantic Red Sea. And behind them was a gigantic army that was coming after them to kill them and take them back into slavery. And they regretted all of their life and they regretted all things. And they looked to Moses and Moses says in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 13 to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And then you remember what happened next? God opened up the Red Sea. And as God's people walked through to the other side, as they ran their fingers through the water on either side, as they watched the fish dance on either side, and as they saw that behind them was a pillar of fire keeping Pharaoh's army from pursuing them any further, they understood that their God was the way maker. In Joshua chapter 5, God's people on the edge of the promised land, on the eve of battle, they understood that God was the way maker. As Joshua looked out on the horizon, he saw an angel standing with a sword drawn in hand and he said to him, are you for us or are you against us? And he said, neither. I'm the captain of the Lord's armies. Joshua understood. then. That his God was the way maker. And this, this fresh new leader goes to his commanders, goes to all his people in Israel, and they're preparing for battle against Jericho. And these high uh, fortified, fortified walls before them in Jericho, they're getting ready to go in battle. And they're like, all right, Joshua, what plan do you have for us to go in to this city? Are we going to scale the walls? Hey, let's build siege towers. I've heard about it. We heard about it in Egypt. Let's build some siege towers. Hey, uh, uh, Ricky over here has got a good plan. We're going to build some, I don't know if there was any Hebrew named Ricky. That's just the first name that came to my mind. Well, he knows how to build a siege tower. We're going to go up against this wall. Or how about we scale the walls? We got some grappling hooks. We're going to be like Batman. We're going to all go up. How are we, oh, Hey. What if we? This is a little more boring. But what if we just surround the city until they get so hungry that they come out, and then we win? And Joshua says, "No, I, I got a better idea. God gave me this idea. We're going to walk around the city silently for six days. <laughs> uh, okay, we're gonna, and then, and then and then what? I mean, that's a long time." to just walk around the city one, one time. Yeah, on the seventh day, what we're going to do is we're going to walk around seven times. We're going to be really quiet. But at the end of that seventh time, we're going to blow our trumpets and we're going to scream and we're going to shout and we're going to praise the Lord. And you've got to think, all the people gathered around that circle were like, well, What? I mean, we're not going to have any energy to do any type of battle after walking around this city seven times, and then we're just going to, we're going to have a church service. It doesn't seem like that's an effective battle, but you know what happened after that, don't you? When they screamed and when they shouted and when they blew those trumpets, the walls came tumbling down and right then and there, God's people knew that their God was the way maker. Because only God could have performed such a victory through such what seemed like such a ridiculous scheme for their battle. But not only in the book of Joshua, in 1 Samuel, in chapter 17, we're introduced to a little shepherd boy named David. And he's bringing food and supplies to his brothers who are fighting for Israel. Right now, the battle is at a stalemate. The Philistines on one side of the valley, the Israelites on the other side, and in between them, a giant named Goliath, a mighty warrior who has on all of the armor and who is calling out and defying the armies of Israel and the God of Israel. And Israel's king wasn't man enough to go down into that valley, he wasn't. He wasn't following the Lord. He should have. The king of Israel should have been the first one down to fight that battle for his people, and yet he didn't. And and David walks up, this little boy, and he hears, he hears this giant defying the God of Israel, and he becomes angry, and he says, "Will anyone go down and fight this man?" And no one will. He says, "I'm going to do it." And he goes down into that valley with no armor on, with just a sling and a few stones. Some people say, "Well, David was certain because he he had he had killed uh, uh, wolves and lions and tigers and bears uh, uh, when he was guarding sheep." Uh, you know, David had mentioned that, but we have no reason to believe, from what he has said, that that was the reason that he was certain of his victory, but he gives us the reason why he's certain of his victory. As he goes down into this valley, Goliath is, is taunting him. You're sending a child down to me? He's, he's like my kneecap size. This is going to be a bloodbath. This battle is this going to take like two seconds. And David cries out to him, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword, and with a spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. And you better believe a whole host of armies of Israel knew that day that their God was the way maker. You could go to Elijah on Mount Carmel. You could go to Jonah that prophet who ran from the Lord when he told him to to go to Nineveh and preach repentance to that city of Nineveh. And he ran far away from God and he got in that ship It was going in the polar opposite direction when God sent a storm to, to rock that ship and to scare all of the sailors on that ship where they emptied the entire vessel. And finally, Jonah came forward and said, you have to throw me off if you want to save your lives. And they threw Jonah out of that boat And God had sent a great fish to come and swallow him up. And for three days, Jonah was in the belly of that great fish until God, in his grace and in his mercy, sent that fish to dry land to spit him up on dry land. And you better believe that by the time Jonah was spit up out of that fish, as he took off toward Nineveh, he understood his God was the way maker. I could tell you about those three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in a foreign land, being commanded to bow down before the image of some arrogant king. And they wouldn't do it. And the king threatened them, I'm going to throw you into the hottest earnest that we got here. I'm going to, I'm going to. Make sure that, that furnace is 10 times hotter than it's ever been. And they say to him, listen, whether our God saves us or whether he doesn't, we know that he can. But whether he does or whether he doesn't, we're not going to bow before your image. We're going to serve our God. And so, and so uh, the king throws them, his guards throw them into this fiery furnace. And it's so hot that one of the soldiers who's taking them up to the furnace dies from the heat And you better believe that when King Nebuchadnezzar looked in that furnace and he saw four people standing in there, not three, and he saw them standing and doing well, you better believe a whole bunch of people believed that day that the God of Israel was a way maker. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of that fiery furnace knowing one thing for certain, their God was the way maker. And you better believe that one Friday, with every disciple having abandoned him, with every citizen of Jerusalem that had just days before thrown down palm branches and called out Hosanna in the highest, you better believe that one Friday everyone having abandoned him standing before a brutal court that had no desire for justice but only to accuse him falsely you better believe that on that day as Jesus was beaten mercilessly as he was whipped within inches of his life as he carried a cross up a hill called Mount Calvary as they placed a crown of thorns upon his head as they nailed nails into his hands and into his feet as they nailed a a, A sign above his head that mockingly called him king of the Jews. You better believe that as people walked past him and and ridiculed him and said, if you really are king of the Jews... Call angels, come down from that cross right now. You better believe that Jesus understood one thing. He was the way maker. And this was the way that he would bring salvation to all of mankind, to all who would repent and believe that Jesus would go to that cross. He would die mercilessly. As the Father would turn his face away, Jesus would take upon his shoulders the weight of the sin of the world, the weight of your sin, the weight of my sin. Jesus would take upon himself and he would die on that cross between two thieves. But The story didn't end there. Because three days later, Jesus rose from the grave proving that our God is the way maker. And not only did he arise then, but he is alive forevermore. The book book of Revelation teaches us, and all throughout the New Testament, the Bible teaches us because he lives, those who repent and believe can live forever and can have life abundantly in him. The Bible teaches us that he's coming back to get us and we will enjoy life free from sickness and free from pain. We will live life filled with certainty. We will, feel we will have life that is abundant and free. We will have life where he will wipe away every tear from our eye and we will be in his presence forever and ever and ever. And so that means even now, In this moment, in this COVID-19 pandemic world, where you've trusted for so long in money, where you've trusted so long in your positions, your jobs, your relationships, where you've trusted in so many things outside of him, right now you can understand that he and he alone, Jesus and Jesus alone, is the way maker. Perhaps you're listening today, and you have yet to call upon Jesus as Lord. Just months ago, you would have said how easy life has been for you, and now you see just how fragile it can be. Can I encourage you right now? God loves you so much that He, even though your sin and my sin deserves death and hell before a righteous and a holy God. God wants a relationship with you. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come and to live a perfect life and then to die on that cross for you and for me to take the penalty of our sin. And he rose from the grave and he promises us that if we repent of our sins, that is, if we turn from them and we call upon Jesus as Lord and we live our lives for him, he will forgive us of our sins. He will make us a new creation, and he promises life that is eternal for us. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I ask you to please repent of your sins and trust on the only way maker. If you have any questions, I want to encourage you in the next few moments to call our church office I'll be in here for the next few moments. I would love to speak with you, to counsel you, to pray with you. Our number is 870-735-5241. I would love to pray with you over the next few moments. I would love to give you an opportunity to ask Jesus to come into your heart and to live your life for him. But perhaps you're listening today and you know Jesus is your Lord, but you've been running. Or you know Jesus is your Lord, but you have not been acknowledging Him. I want to encourage you today to repent of that and to live for Him. Today, we celebrate a set of events that were unprecedented. And you know what's amazing? We live in unprecedented times now. But we know that just as Jesus died on a Friday, He rose on a Sunday. And if you believe in Him, you can be sure of this. Because He lives, we live. Because He's victorious. We're victorious. Church, friends, all those who are watching, I want you to know, Jesus is the waymaker. Thanks for joining us for this episode of First Importance. You're invited to check out our other sermons on this channel and, if you're in the West Memphis area, to join us for our Sunday worship at 1045 a.m.